This is episode 80 of the Reading Cove Book Club's podcast. We're always looking for great new members, so if you're a book lover who may be interested in joining an online book club, please visit our website at thereadingcove.com to learn more about the group. For July 2017, we're discussing Small Great Things by Jody Pico. So hi, I'm Millennia in Florida. I'm Roberta in Georgia. And Roberta and I are two members of the Reading Cove Book Club. And today we are talking about our group's 200th pick, Small Great Things by Jody Pico. And it's so exciting that as a group we've read 200 books together. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> in 17 years, 200 yes. books. Wow. It's awesome. And this, like I was just saying before, this is like one of the best picks that we could have chosen. And this was chosen by you, Roberta. Yes. yes. <laughs> for pick number 200, that milestone, because what a great book for discussion. What uh, a topic. Absolutely. So let's dive right in. I wanted to start with a question because I was curious, just jumping right to the end, like the end of the trial. I'm curious what you think about what happened with the jury. Were you expecting that or did you think it would, were you like predicting guilty or not guilty? Well, it, it was hard to say because they sort of, you know, she sort of kept you guessing. That's one good thing uh, about most of the time with most of her books is, you know, they address different controversial s subjects mm -hmm. and, and sometimes they don't always turn out the way you think they might. Right. But what did, what did you think? About well, that's what I was wondering. Did you think she was going to be found not guilty or guilty? You're hoping she was not guilty because she really wasn't. But then at the same time, things didn't look good because especially since she basically had been left by herself, which they never should have done anyway, but she was left by herself. So it was really like her word against everybody else's and Turk and his family and then these other people that they're just trying to cover themselves themselves, you know, you could see how very easily it looks bad for her. You know, right. every step of the way in the book, it looked it looks sort of bad for her because the reader knows what happened, but the jury's only going to be fed these other things through the lawyer. So. so basically, you didn't make a prediction. No, because like I say, sometimes when you think, oh, surely to goodness, this is what's going to happen, then it may not. <laughs> okay. Well, that's always the case, but sometimes yeah. you do kind of predict in your mind where you think it's right. going. So right. that's what I did. I, I asked that because I maintained the whole time that she's going to be found not guilty. That That's just the feeling I had, right? right? Even when Ruth, you know, the whole sabotage thing came in where she insisted that she wanted to testify and Kennedy is like, oh my God, she's now derailing our case. Right. She's, right. she's, she's just, you know, we're winning and she's about to screw everything up. Right. And when that happened, I felt like that was really contrived. I didn't see Ruth doing such a stupid thing, but I understand narratively why, she, why it was done, you know, because right. she felt like Kennedy kept telling her, you know, we're get, we've got to keep race out of it. And yeah. she's saying, no, it's all about that. And so right. she wanted to have her moment. So I understand why, but under the circumstances where your lawyer is telling you, we've got this. I've, right. I've won this without us having to go there and you're not going to end up in jail. And then for her to turn around and say, no, you've got to put me on the stand. <laughs> so I was thinking even then when it was, you're supposed to now think, uh-oh, 
she's going to get herself convicted. Right. I I didn't buy it. I was still thinking, nope, nope, there's going to be a way that she gets out of this, yeah. you know? <laughs> You know, you want to hope for the best, but yeah, you think most of the time, you know, why would people do this course? I mean, you have real life situations all the time where people want to, you know, defend themselves. And you think, how crazy is that? Ruth was so mad and upset about, you know, the way these things had gone all along that she felt like she had to have her own say regardless, even though it was really, really a bad move on her part. You know, she was really risking a lot by doing that my overall impression of the book. It felt a lot of times, especially leading up to the, the trial, the pacing was not my favorite. I feel like there was a lot of redundancy in revisiting, like innocuous scenes. We go through a scene with Ruth and then we got to go through the same exact scene from Kennedy's point of view and then Turk's point of view. And I thought there was only like one scene where that added something. It's like, you know, as a reader, I can guess what Kennedy would be thinking in that scene if all three of them are present i can guess what turk's point of view is we didn't need to go through it you know what i mean from yeah. like go well, basically relive the scene three times from all three points of view yeah well i can understand but i still was one of the ones that loved the book because i just loved how it, it took a situation that could very well happen you know and addressed issues that were very controversial and looked at family interactions and all like that and then they had these outside agitators that uh, wallace mercy he was sort of like an al sharpton guy you know he thought he was doing good but he just kind of stirred the pot and everything. yeah yeah i'm not speaking in general yeah. that i didn't like the yeah. book i'm speaking just but, specifically about uh, about some of the specific oh, okay. things. I mean, I can understand it, and I don't know. Maybe the author just thought she wanted to show it from different, you know, a different perspective. But I, I, you know, I agree that sometimes you don't need to see the same scene more than once. You know, right. it's if for some really specific reason. You know, right. I could even maybe more seeing something maybe just from Ruth and Turk, but leave Kennedy out of that, you know. But Yeah, and to me, it just, I guess, you know, I'm more sensitive to things like that, right. but it just felt redundant to me. You know, it was like redundant, like, oh my God, really? And I think maybe the bail hearing was really the only scene that I thought there was something to be gained from revisiting it from each of their experiences. Right, right. Um, but a lot of the other scenes were just like redundant. And then the backstory dumps. I hate backstory dumps in the middle of the action. It's like, and I know this is this is my thing, but you know, others may not agree with me. But it it affects my enjoyment of the story I'm being told. I think it was because I want to try to be specific. So let me try to remember because while I was reading it, I could have thrown the book against the wall when that happened. Really, it was one of those moments like you can just throw it against the wall, like we're always saying in the group. You know, <laughs> are you reading a book that just makes you want to throw it against the wall? I think it might have been like right after the bail hearing we're in Turk's point of view and then he goes back to talking about when he first met Brit and I'm like uh, yeah. um who effing cares right now get on with the story <laughs> You know, it was yeah. things like that. And and it happened again with Ruth, you know, after cer certain things progress in the present day narrative, then all of a sudden we're going back into her childhood. And it's like, OK, I don't want to go back right now. I want to proceed with what's going, what's unfolding. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I have to agree that, you know, you want to know the backstory, but there would have been better 
places better pacing like tell us that up front or something yeah or or, you know have it uh segue from some other thing you know instead of instead of choking the pace it's just it's like it brings everything uh, to a screeching halt okay let's go back to when she was 12 or whatever it's like oh my god let's go back to when i met brit who cares about when you met brit let's get on with I have to agree. I, the, I love the other story. I love knowing more about how these people came to be. But sometimes it is better to work, you know, the other earlier events in, in a I different way. You feel like the story's moving along. You know what I mean? It's about the pacing for me. Right. So, right. Yeah, so right. that was annoying. And the other thing that I have to say before we get into the good bits Sometimes it felt like a heavy-handed message book, like certain things were really just there to prove, to make a point. I'll give an example. When Kennedy goes home after the bail hearing, that just so happens to be, all these convenient coincidences to make a point, it just so happens to be the same day her, her daughter watches the princess and the frog and is deciding she wants to be Tiana, the black princess. So now yeah. Kennedy has this conversation with her mother about the racial implications of that, and it just so happens to be happening now. So I feel like that's kind of what pulls me out of it and kind of makes it like a heavy handed message. It's like that incident could have happened before and Kennedy could be telling the reader about it because now she's being drawn into this racially charged case. And so she can then recount to you certain racially, you know, certain racial things in her own experience. But for it to happen that same night of the bail hearing just felt really too on the nose. You know what I mean? Like it becomes yeah. a really heavy handed message book then. It's like, okay. And then the same th- thing kind of happened with Ruth. She goes home after what happened at the hospital. Turk didn't want her taking care of the baby. And then her boss puts the note in the file that no black people should be taking care of the baby. And she goes home that night and her son just so happens to have an issue where he wanted to date his white friend's sister. Yeah. <laughs> so you see what I mean? Too yeah. contrived, too on the nose. How about that happened a few days ago or you know what I mean? Except yeah. same day. So that those are the kinds of things that I feel kind of drags you drags me out of buying into the story. Yeah. I mean they're they're good issues to address but could be done differently. Right. That's just those were just yes. my feelings as I was reading it. So now <laughs> <laughs> let's get on to the things I really liked or we really liked okay about it i think that overall the message the heavy-handed message is an excellent one that i think an author like jody pico is uniquely able to convey to her audience the character that was most authentic to me would be kennedy uh-huh. um for the reasons i was already stating that you know the ruth and turk felt purposeful like it's too purposeful to be organic characters or authentic characters. They were serving a pur- the purpose of being, you know, the victim of racial discrimination and the perpetrator. So right. they felt too contrived and too purposeful to, to be real people to me. But I understand they had that role to play in the story and the message that she's trying to get across. But so for me, Kennedy felt the most authentic. I think that the moments that she had discovering certain things as a character, those felt most authentic, more authentic than anything Turk discovered or Ruth discovered. When Kennedy goes through the 
neighborhood when she goes for the walk and she goes walking through this black neighborhood and she stops in uh, I think it was a CVS or a, some kind of store and she's looking at all the black hair products things that she would never have encountered or had any reason to notice before and realizing that wow there's a lot that I'm clueless about there's a lot I don't know or, or wouldn't even think to know I don't know what I don't know and the way that this case was bringing that to her attention, walking through the neighborhood and experiencing in a ver- on a very small scale what it is like for people who aren't white in the country at large. Right. She gets to choose to put herself in that position. Right. People who aren't white don't get that choice. That's their daily life. Right. That was, I think, very powerful, very right. powerful. And, and I loved how it showed that she got it. Right. She gets it. Yeah. So and this that I kind of could relate to Kennedy's looking at things, too, um, because when she went out shopping with Ruth, you know, Mm -hmm. and wanted to go to a a less expensive thing. And I won't say the store because it's part of the quiz we're still having going on. (laughs) But anyhow, you can say it. (laughs) They won't be listening to this before they take the quiz. (laughs) How she goes with Ruth to TJ Maxx to find some inexpensive gifts. Right. You know, and so that's another eye opener for her because if Kennedy had just gone into the TJ Maxx on her own or with her daughter, you know, she would just gone. Like she the, normally does. Like she normally did. But with Ruth with, with her, it was like she could see people following her around. Mm-hmm. And when they got ready to go, they asked to see Ruth's receipt. And then mm-hmm. when Kennedy tries to volunteer here's hers oh no no we don't need yours so that was kind of an eye-opener too it's like oh this is like real what would that be like if that were my everyday life and i i'm supposed to expect that every day yeah that i can't even go to like a a store without feel like i'm being followed and you know having to go through basically humiliating experience just because i'm not white you know, so I, I could I could relate to Kennedy because she probably thought she was pretty liberal and understanding, but she just throughout the the course of of defending Ruth, she really learned a lot, and her eyes were really open to what things were like. It things were much different and much worse than what she thought they were. You know, she's even trying to as she tried to tell Ruth, you know, it's not about race, but Ruth was partly right, even though. She wasn't maybe right to, you know, go on the um, stand, but she said, yes, it is. It's all about race. And so that was, you know, the thing that Kennedy did come to understand that all of this had to do with the everyday life of people who weren't white, what they had to put up with. And she had no way of knowing until she went through this. So I related the most to Kennedy and and she seemed to, you know, be the one that was a true authentic character and and grew as, as the story went on. Yeah. Well, I think they all were supposed to have some kind of evolution, you know, and evolve. Oh, yeah. But I said, but I think with her, I could see hers, you know, the Much most. more. Yeah, exactly. Now, with Turk, he's the one that at the ver- by the very end, he he has really, you know. Done a 180. Done a 180. And, and, you know, he's sort of partially redeemed himself. I don't know that it happens that awful, but I often, but you think, well, you know, things are possible because, you know, even crazy George Wallace, who was, you know, (laughs) like a number one racist and bigot that even before he died, you know, he said he was wrong and he apologized for, you know, the things he had done. So Jody Pico has done research and she said she interviewed two former skinheads. So 
Yeah, so, you know, it is possible to, you know, make a turnaround and, and redeem yourself and, and also. And gain clarity because yeah. what's at the root? Uh, you know, I think it's important to, a few a couple things I think it's important to mention. What's at the root of this whole thing is ego and identity, right? right? It's about self-worth and value. And it's very easy to enhance your sense of your own value if you're looking down on someone else. And this is exactly why this type of dynamic is at work everywhere, not just among white skin and black skin, but within the races themselves. You know, you have issues of darker skin versus lighter brown skin people. And as long as there's someone to look down on, it enhances your own sense of value of your own self, of yourself. That's what you see at work everywhere. And that's all that's going on with the race from its inception and slavery. As long as, you know, there's someone that we can say is inferior, that makes us superior. And that makes us feel good and and inherently valuable ourselves so once you peel that away and you see the illusoriness of it then you get into issues of class right because they're cousins race issues and class issues and people tend to get them confused and muddy the waters of one discussion with another because you you have issues of class that have nothing to do with race right a lot of people can't make that distinction And it's important to make that distinction because some discrimination may not have anything to do with your skin. It may have to do with your pocketbook. Exactly. You know, I think it's important that people start to notice that and recognize that and make those distinctions. Neither is nice. Neither is good. But there's definitely a difference between being discriminated against based on your class, because within the white population, there's class discrimination, obviously, and being discriminated against because of the color of your skin. Right. I was reading some reviews on this book and someone said they think that Jody Pico wants white people to apologize for being white. That's what they got from the book. <laughs> and I understand why someone might come away feeling that way, but I don't think that's what she's saying at all. No. Uh, right? I think that's a misinterpretation or sort of a reflexive feeling that some people may have, but it's important to look beyond that. Right. right? And look for the more meaningful response rather than just to think, oh, she wants us to apologize for being white. It's easy to dismiss it with that. Right. I think she's clearly trying to make a point and she's doing it. She's beating you over the head with the point, okay? Um, Some people don't take it well. Some people, there are a lot of people, I think, that have taken it quite well. As you hear, you know, a lot of readers, like I had posted a a video in the group of a lot of readers speaking about how it affected them and how it's opened their eyes, and they feel enriched by it. And I think that's the most important thing is that does it enrich your experience of yourself and the other people you share the air with, you know, that you share the world with? The sun rises for us all, and we all live on the same planet and have to live together and why does prejudice exist what purpose does it really serve and I think anyone who can get people to start asking that question and answering it for themselves bravo applause Yeah, I think, like I said, that's what I think, you know, more than anything else, she wanted to have more of a dialogue and, and make people think about things, you know, because things have gotten 
you know, worse in recent history instead of better. And um, in certain aspects, I, certain I, aspects. I, I think I mean, it's another thing that's important, as you mentioned that Ruth's experience in TJ Maxx or wherever she was with uh, Kennedy, when the salesperson came and, you know, was following her and they asked to see her receipt when they were leaving and not Kennedy's. I think it's important that it be said that not every non-white person has that experience. Right. I've never had that experience. You know, I was born in 1976 in Florida, South Florida, which a lot of people consider to be, you know, the South. I've never seen it as the South because I've never experienced that kind of racial atmosphere. I have never had that experience of going into a store and having someone follow me or feel like I'm being watched or feel like, oh, I need to show my receipt. Never. So that is relative that experience to maybe where you are. I mean, this was set in Connecticut and you may think, well, Florida versus Connecticut. So it's important that people not just paint the whole thing with a broad brush. No, because I mean, things can, things can happen all over. All you know? over and everyone's experience is different. Right. And that's also important. It's the same thing with the whole Black Lives Matter and the, the cops killing people and people being afraid to be pulled over by a cop. That's not every non-white person's experience and just because it's happening to some doesn't mean everyone should expect it to happen to them and behave accordingly yeah but i'm just saying, i think now with with all the instant news and things being um able to be bounced out there you know immediately yeah immediately that there is more emphasis on on things and there have been bigger cases and and bigger reactions to things like i said the people being shot by the police but at the same time the police in dallas being assassinated so there's a lot of high profile things i mean there's been horrible things going on for eons but i'm just saying i think it's more out there and maybe that's why you know jody colt you know she wanted to address some these things because she saw them you know more out there and more uh, in everyday life than there had been even previously and just you know people always used to think oh well it's a southern thing but it's it's not things things are all over because especially as time's gone on i've read you know things not just fiction but non-fiction historical things that it doesn't matter where you live there's prejudice and like you said both whether it's your skin color or class or whatever there's things there that go on all over you're not immune no matter where you live i think you'd have to live like you know in the wilds of alaska or something (laughs) to get away from it yeah and it is made up of us you know people always like to generalize and and kind of just use words to not really look at what society is made up of. It's made up of you right. and me and people. Right. So it's up to us to correct exactly what this book is trying to do is help people correct their thinking and gain yeah. clarity because you don't think about things in the clearest way. And it, it does serve a certain need to be prejudiced or something that you're gaining from being prejudiced or judging someone based on their appearance. The thing that really jumped out at me too reading this, and I remember when we read The Help, we kind of had this similar discussion then on the podcast, but race, the word race, what does that word mean? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. You know, it's just something people have, you know, coined to try to, to refer to the color of someone's skin, their appearance. Right. Race means appearance. That's all that, you know, when you have to check a box or click a a box (laughs) in today's day and age, what is your race? What is your nationality? What is your ethnicity? What is what is ethnicity? What is it? It's just appearance. Right. That's it. It's so stupid. The whole thing. It's a mental construct. 
that unfortunately has become an institutional thing. Right. But if this book is really calling people to peel away those words and look at what it means, what you're actually talking about, you're just talking about somebody's skin. Why are you talking about their skin? Yeah, you're just talking about their outward thing, their appearance. Their appearance. Why are we talking about it so much? Why does it matter? Well, it matters because (laughs) you can't separate where we are today the descendants of slaves and slave owners from the slaves and the slave owners and the way the country was run once upon a time. Okay, if you are wealthy, Roberta, what do you expect for your descendants? You expect them to be wealthy too. You expect them to be wealthy. Wealthy. That's what they're going to inherit. If you are a slave, what can you expect for your descendants? Even if you're a freed slave who was just said, okay, you can get off the plantation, go. Go make life. Go figure it out. What can you expect for your descendants? Not as much. (laughs) Not as much. So that's where we are today. I love what Kennedy said about being born on the at the end of the week. I think she said this uh, in her closing argument. She made this analogy about people born early in the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. They get all these privileges. They get to be first in line. They get to be first served here and there. They get all these privileges. Right. And then if you're born at the end of the week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you don't get to be first in line. You're at the end. You're behind. And then the other people criticize you for it. Right. You're never going to catch up. You're never going to catch up. You're always criticized for being born (laughs) at the end of the week. Something you have no control over, right? Yeah, yeah, you have no control over it. So, yeah, that, yeah, she made a, a good point. Another thing, because I sort of addressed it in one of our discussion questions, that uh, Ruth's sister is like totally different from her because Ruth, you know, tries to fit in and, you know, go with the flow. And yeah, she knows that she's not as well treated as her co-workers and but she you know she doesn't feel like well it's, it may be unintentional prejudice but she just kind of goes with the flow and she wants to fit in and she wants to be part of everyday thing but then her sister you know has not only changed her name you know she is one of the ones that wants to be more vocal even though she's had a rough life and she hasn't you know done well but I thought it was ironic that here when poor Ruth is in dire circumstances then Adisa's her savior because Adisa takes her to the um, government offices mm-hmm. and she knows the system. She's here. Let me show you how to get food stamps and how to get you know these other things. You're you're entitled to them. You've worked hard all these years. Yeah. So you know poor Ruth has to swallow her pride. Her pride. But the other- <laughs> At the other end, here's this this sister who's a ne'er do well and you know stride and everything, but because she has had to do stuff before, then in in this ironic way, she's able to to help Ruth, and that's just was sort of touching in a weird way to me. It really does show in Adisa and Ruth two examples of two very different coping, two very different states of mind in the United States. among among non-white people and different states of mind that develop in reaction to living in a pro-white society, if you will. So you have Adisa, who 
is really angry and could be perceived as, you know, the angry black woman and has a huge chip on her shoulder and doesn't reason very well as a result. But you can't tell her that. No. Okay. (laughs) And then you have Ruth, who she understands her sister, obviously, but she doesn't react to it in the same way. Her She hasn't been conditioned by it in the same way. So I I love that spectrum. And then you have a lot of people in between the spectrum of the two of them. So I do like that that representation is there. Yeah, I, I, I like the difference between the two, but at the same time that the sweetness that the strident, you know, woman would could still take these things she had learned the hard way mm-hmm. and help out her sister when nobody else was, you know, really there to help her out. Right. Ruth, who had worked hard to get not only a, a bachelor's degree, but a graduate degree at a prestigious, you know, university, then the only job she could get is at a fast food place. <laughs> Yeah, I thought that was a little little bit of an exaggeration because it's set in present day. I mean, if right. this were set a little, you know, like in the 80s or something, I would have swallowed that a little bit better. But I'm it. sure that Ruth could have found an administrative job or an online job. I mean, nowadays, so know, many people it, work online. So I know, but I still think it, it was it was a nice touch. It, it made for a better it story. Made a point. Made the point is yeah. like here, you know, she's educated and has tried to do her best. And then she's down, you know, working at a fast food place and, and you know dealing with uh, this you know other uh, humiliation and and you know having um, her son come in yeah. and you know that embarrassment with his friends and there, whatnot there, yeah uh, there was nice little touches in the story whether you know they were totally true to life or not but i i liked the touches like that too yeah the scene when kennedy sends howard to this one juror's house in this white neighborhood and <laughs> he calls and says like it's gated or something and he or he can't yeah. get in and she's like like, well, peek over the fence and look and and, and he's like, really? <laughs> that just goes to show you how distant she is from the non-white experience. Yeah, just, that was you know, great. Yeah, that that was kind of funny and ironic way. Very ironic and eye-opening. You want me to? Get- <laughs> you want me, a black man, to go <laughs> peeking over the fences in a white neighborhood <laughs> the way you could do? <laughs> I, I could get arrested and or shot. I'll know? get shot. <laughs> Some, you know, NRA member will ha- not hesitate to blow his head off. Like I said, oh, well, he was trying, he was trying to break in exactly. here, you know. So we have a commentary on the NRA besides the, you know, skinheads and everything. Even a black woman wouldn't do that. So <laughs> no way. <laughs> no. So that was funny. I had a, a thought about the prosecutor. I forget her name, but she was a black woman. And I thought that a point was being made by her being black as well. And I wondered if she was overcompensating so that she wouldn't appear biased in Ruth's favor because she's black. Right. I think so. I think so. You know, she was, you know, she could say, oh, I'm just doing my job. Yeah. She had to go after her the same as any Tea Party member would. But I think she she had felt like she had to be extra tough. Exactly. So it didn't look like she was in any way biased or sympathetic or empathetic, either one. So she really, you know, had to go gung ho and, and, be even tougher Mm -hmm. than someone, you know, who wasn't. I can see that authentically being an an authentic response to that you're prosecuting a black woman and you are a black woman so now you have to really overcompensate to really go after her and really make it seem like there's no bias here it would be a tough position to be in Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean and she has to look at her future career because Mm -hmm. 
if she didn't go full tilt, then they'd say, well, hey, you know, you, you lost the case because... You're not fair and impartial, yeah. I, I felt like that was a very realistic portrayal of what someone would have to go through. And then, you know, she did drop the charges against Edison for his ridiculousness. Right. <laughs> spray painting the hospital right um but you know he's 17 and i totally bought that maybe he would do that he's i mean initially he was presented as a more level-headed kid right but again i remembered you know he's 17 yeah i mean his his mother you know gets drug out and his not her nine yeah <laughs> and, and then he gets you know treated like he's a thug when he's just a you know totally innocent bystander mm-hmm. so uh, I can see how, you know, like I said, at that age, even if you are smart and seem level-headed, you could act out because you're just so frustrated and mad about everything. So, yeah, he's still not an adult. He's still, you know, acting out. Just like even, you know, after she got back home and she had to get after him because he, she was afraid he was going to ruin his chances to get into school because not keeping up with his schoolwork and everything, he was just, you know, he had this bad experience. And, you know, it saw, like with his mom, his mom, had played by all the quote rules and mm-hmm. done everything right and then here she was being called off in the middle of the night for things that he didn't understand yeah exactly another thing that just popped into my mind is the fact that ruth was you know i guess a, an rn for 20 years right she was never promoted you know someone else you know who she was their senior right was promoted over her because she was seen as too uppity or too whatever. I see that all of these things that happen to different non-white people, whether they be black or Asian or just not white, um, that happen all over the country all the time were all piled into the book, you know? And I understand why she did that. But I just feel like it's important to say that Ruth is not a representation of every non-white person's experience in America. There was a lot, everything was piled into her her character that right. she's experiencing she like, all, every, every facet of racism it's, right. it's it's sort of exaggerated in that way but that's kind of what ties back to why i was saying it felt like a really heavy-handed message book but you know the author's trying to make an, a point, point you know, exactly she she wants people to you know get riled up and and see <laughs> yes it may not happen every time but this could very well happen and this is so wrong not that's, that it could happen it is happening well i mean yeah but yeah. I mean, it could happen anywhere like mm-hmm. i should say it could happen anywhere you know this is wrong and you know we need to look at these things differently absolutely and notice it more notice it more more. as far as people like turk those people do exist because not long ago they had a couple who was sent off to jail and they were part of one of these you know skinhead groups they were doing you know intimidating things and other stuff but they finally got caught because they and some of these other buddies they were riding around neighborhoods that were predominantly african-american and threatening people and they had guns and stuff and the final blow was they came along and were threatening these children children that were like outside for a birthday party wow. so they finally got arrested yeah so. because and it's interesting because of course in turk's narrative we learn that they believe they are the superior race you know they have that hitler right. philosophy and there's going to be a race war or we are currently in a race war and by giving non-white people equality right and equity which it's inherent in everybody who's born 
learn in balancing things out, it's suppressing them. It's it's like they feel like the tables are being turned and now they're going to become the oppressed race. And so it serves them to hold that point of view and take action based on that point of view. Right. And it's like, really? And so everything they do is in re- response to that premise, to that belief. They're going to end up with our experience. You're right. Even in my own state, I could see how the thing with Turk and these other people, it was perfectly uh, understandable and perfectly believable. Because- and yeah, what strikes me the most is just when they gain clarity, like Turk is shown to do at the end, right? that everything they've believed was just false belief in their own mind. It's interesting to me that it takes something really dramatic to kind of knock them out of that dysfunction it's it's because that's what strikes me I guess that's the word I was looking for it's such a dysfunctional mindset and reasoning it's so dysfunctional that it takes such a long time for their reasoning to become healthy right yeah wow so there's a quote from I think it's Ruth's section where she's talking about how babies come in as blank slates Mm -hmm. it says uh they don't come into this world with the assumptions their parents have made or the promises their church will give or the ability to sort people into groups they like and don't like they don't come into this world with anything really except a need for comfort and they will take it from anyone without judging the giver i wonder how long it takes before the polish given by nature gets worn off by nurture yep i thought that was really powerful that's one of the, yeah the most powerful things in the book Absolutely. Yeah. And then there was something that Howard said, the lawyer that was second chair with Kennedy. I liked Howard. Yeah, he was he was funny. He was doing his research on all on the jury pool and he found a survey in this part here where it says the voters who were worried about what people would think of them if they were racist, however, rated the dark skinned black way higher than the light skinned black. And then he says, you get it right. If a white person is trying extra hard to not look look racist they're going to overcompensate for their prejudice by suppressing their real feelings about the darker skinned person and i think that's very powerful because we were talking about the prosecutor overcompensating to not appear biased right to someone of her own race and that shoots right to the heart of what a lot of people do do because no one wants to appear racist but yet that keeps them from questioning the feelings they do have about skin right and people who have darker skin and not just white people but lots of other people who don't have quite as dark skin you know you if you see a really dark person coming or something like that or looking a certain way or wearing a hoodie or dressed a certain way versus if that person were white or lighter skinned you may not have the same reaction so when you have to suppress that to appear to not appear racist it really begs you to look at that and why you have that reaction what's going on in you that you need to correct what's going on in your reasoning what dysfunctional reasoning is there in your subconscious that you need to address look at and change it so that you don't have those automatic assumptions going on visually when someone you just see them right so I thought that was really powerful yeah I like that part too yep Kennedy asks Ruth do you think there will ever be a time when racism doesn't exist? And Ruth replies, no, because that means white people would have to buy into being equal. Who would choose to dismantle the system that makes them special? And then heat floods my neck. <laughs> heat floods Kennedy's neck yeah. when, when, when Ruth says that. Who would choose to give up their advantage? And I had an answer to that. When I read that part, I felt all those abolitionists, 
all those pe those freedom riders, right. the, the white freedom riders, the white abolitionists, because if it weren't for them, we would still have the institution of slavery in this country. Or some something si similar. We may not. Or have Jim the, Crow. Yeah, we'd still if for out then things would be much different than what they are now. So I disagree with Ruth. I guess is basically what I'm saying when she says <laughs> white people will never give up their unearned advantage, and right. I say that's not true because if that were the case, then you'd still be a slave. Right. But, well, I mean, but she was just making a point from, I think, from her perspective. We're well, at, and a lot of people have that perspective, but that's why know, I'm I, offering a different one. <laughs> there were some people that they gave up their, literally their lives to try to make things better. Exactly. You know, granted, you know, they, they were martyrs, but partly because of them, things did change, did start to change. Absolutely. So there, I mean, Ruth has her own perspective, but, you know, fortunately, I guess for us and for history, there there have been some people who were willing to do more, and we just have to hope that, you know, that continues. You know, Ruth's not entirely right, and someday we'll be able to look past outer appearances mm -hmm. and look past, you know, the class distinctions yes and then the last thing is about brit's mother being a black woman i know right? that's kind of freaky it makes a good point which is what i right. think it serves is to point out the hypocrisy because her father right. knew her mother was black obviously and now for his own reasons he becomes this white supremacist Right. And he, and he, plus he hides all this stuff. Hides from her. it. Yes. Suppresses all of that. And how ignorant the reliefs are and how hypocritical you can be about, you know, yeah. these things. Exactly. And then Turk was sort of a monkey see monkey do white supremacist, right? He was influenced yeah. by others. And, you know, it was really horrific how he beat up his own father because his father is but again, she threw everything into this book because she's making a point. Horrible, like with Brittany, you know, that, yeah, she'd been growing up in this atmosphere, but, you know, she was mean even when she kills somebody else's pet, you know, poisons her pet. Oh, yeah, she was very much, I mean, because she ended up really, it seems, killing herself over it. Cutting herself and, I can't find her black blood, you know, I can't find her blood. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, she be grown up with this, you know, this whole white supremacist movement that was her whole life and she'd already gone into this not only postpartum depression but like understandably mega grief after her child dies so i can see some one more thing would just push you over the edge yeah and i i think it really highlights the dysfunction of her reasoning that she right. couldn't even see because when she goes to the baby's grave and and cuts herself open like that and she's like i can't find it uh duh that should be your clarity right there Blood is blood. <laughs> we all bleed the same. We blood. all have the same blood. <laughs> it just highlights how dysfunctional and sick-minded she was, because it really yeah. is a, a. I think it could be classified as a, a mental illness. That's how yeah. dysfunctional that reasoning is. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, I think she was. You know, she was already. You know, mentally ill, and like so, these other things that happened just. You know, finally pushed her over into being suicidal. Yeah. I think that's a fair characterization of that mindset, yeah. of the mindset of a white supremacist. Yeah. If you got the proper counseling or, or mental health care, you could gain a lot of clarity that would take you out of that type of reasoning. Right, because it, everything you're thinking is just totally illogical. Illogical, you know? exactly. So it's so simple, Roberta. Why don't they just, you know, listen to what? this podcast and it I would know. heal the whole world, the whole world. <laughs>
we could just, you know, change the world here, but people <laughs> don't want to be logical. They want to fight and quibble and everything else. but And assert themselves over other people. Right. That's at right. the root of it all. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they want to be special. They want to be special. Yeah, so I think it is an excellent book for discussion about privilege. Yes, yes. And inspiring its intended audience to assess inherent and often subconscious prejudices and or insensitivity to, you know, modern day experiences of the descendants of slaves for, you know, a better way of putting it. Because that's really what is being played out is in the modern day is you're looking at the descendants of people who were owned like cattle. The result of that, yes, some people come out from under it and you get your Oprah Winfrey's and you get your Michael Jordan's and you get your Barack Obama's. But for the most part, we're still dealing with the descendants of slave owners and the descendants of slaves. So it's just the natural progression of coming out of that. And I remain very optimistic and I will be that way till I die about it. You know, as Martin Luther King says, because the title of this book comes comes from a quote from Dr. King. And as he also says that the arc of of justice always or the arc of something always bends towards justice. I don't I wish I had looked up that quote, but I believe that and we have to stay positive and it's important for everyone on all sides of the experience to remember that. And I agree with you that I I want to think as I, I go on, you know, like I said, till, as, as long as I'm here until, as they say, till they throw dirt in my face, that I want to be <laughs> optimistic and, and upbeat about things, you know, and hope for the best. Some things you don't have any control over, so there's no sense in getting yourself, as my husband say, all bowed up. But, you know, you need to look at things from just a human point of view, not from one side or the other. And, and how you can make things, you know, make lives easier or better, you know, for yourself and for other people just in your every everyday interchanges. Exactly. And I love, I have to say, I love that you and I can talk about this. You know, we've done it before. We we read The Help as a group and yes. we had a podcast and I think um, Monica and Cheryl were with us on for that discussion. But I love that we can talk about this like this. Right. Because this is exactly what I think the author would like to have happen. And, you know, bravo to her and how wonderful that we can talk about it. It's awesome. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I look forward to our discussion with the rest of the group that starts online today and hearing what everyone else thinks about it. I, um, a lot of people have already rated it and a lot of five stars, a lot of A's. So people really enjoyed it, but I'm looking forward to our discussion. Me too. See what people, you know, have to have to uh, say and, you know, what meant the most to them. Exactly good pick roberta excellent pick and i love the purpose it serves yes so that's our discussion of small great things by jody pico thanks to our listeners as always for tuning in and as always leave us your comments we can't wait to hear what you think about everything we've discussed and how the book went down for you what your experience of it was stay tuned for our next episode we will be discussing the life we bury by alan eskins see you next time bye bye